0: This is Play by Playcast. Is that faster than a greyhound? The podcast about Play by Play guys. For Play by Play guys, by I'm told, a Play by Play guy. It's a bold
1: strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for
0: him. Now here's the host of Play by Playcast, Todd Godet. Wait, the Motel Six guy?
1: We'll leave the light on for you.
0: No, Joel Godet. Joe Godet. Joel. Joe. Joel. Joel with an L.
1: Okay, here's your
0: host, Joel Godet. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. We're on kind of a network play by play guy kick over the last few episodes. Welcome back into Play by Playcast, everybody. Joel Godet, glad to have you along with us. Thanks for hitting subscribe or download. Joining us, as always, had a lot of network guys on. A couple ESPN guys back-to-back. We've got a CBS sports guy and an NBC sports guy on today's episode. His name is Ed Cohen. He did the Rio Olympics. We'll talk a lot about that here on this episode for NBC. He does a lot of CBS Sports Network stuff. You can catch him doing college basketball mainly. uh, The Great Alaska Shootout. If you caught that on CBS Sports Network, you would have seen Ed Cohen uh, this past November. November, I believe that is. And then Ed does a whole bunch of other stuff as well that we're going to touch on here, which is really cool. Does a lot of broadcasting uh, for One World Sports in the past, uh, started his career in minor league baseball, and as a radio guy at the Division I college basketball level with the Manhattan Jaspers and Bobby Gonzalez back in the mid-2000s. So uh, a lot of different bases to cover here with Ed. We'll get to that all momentarily. House cleaning notes, as always, though, uh, you can follow the podcast on twitter at pxpcast, and for the most part that just tells you who's on the podcast and how to follow it so you've probably already found us but still if you want to interact with the podcast you can do it on twitter at pxpcast. you can find me at joel godette and by the way that goes beyond just saying hey you like the podcast if there's people you want to hear on the podcast let me know do my best to try to reach out to to those types of people or those people in particular. If there are questions you want asked of different folks, go ahead and hit me up on social media as well. Topics you'd like covered, things that you really think would interest you that we haven't gotten to. Uh, Use the Twitter handle and all of that stuff uh, to let me know and we'll see uh, how we can improve the podcast going forward or touch on some different things going forward as well. Now is also usually the time where I say, if you enjoy the podcast, you can uh, please leave us a rating, a review, or something like that. But uh, I actually heard a podcast this morning while I was driving to work where they took a commercial break, and the commercial break was to remind you to rate and review the podcast. So with that being said, this is Play by Playcast, and we're back after this. Hi, everybody! It's Joel Goodette, the host of Play by Playcast. Reminding you that if you enjoy the content of this podcast, if you find it entertaining and informative, please do leave us a review or rate us on iTunes. Uh, I guess the algorithms like it; it makes it easier to search for and find this podcast. Rate and review it. Tell your friends about it. And if you uh, see it on Twitter, give it a retweet. Give it a mention. Uh, help get the word out about Play by Playcast. If it's something you enjoy, so we can continue to grow our community going forward now back to the show all right so i guess that's the hip thing to do now we're just going to take commercials to uh, promote our own podcast <laughs> house cleaning <laughs> is out of the way let's get on to ed cohen uh ed and i met initially my junior year of high school i got into sports broadcasting when i went to after my sophomore year, it was prior to my junior year of high school, I went to the Bruce Beck and Iron Eagle sports broadcasting camp in uh, Northeast New Jersey, which at that point in time was in its infancy. It was, uh, I think I was in the second or third camp that they ever did. Uh, Bruce Beck, of course, from NBC for New York, uh, reigning New York sportscaster of the year, I, I believe this past year, and then Iron Eagle from CBS and the Brooklyn Nets and you've know, you seen him all over the place. He used, used to be the voice of Modell's commercials. Uh, but they put together this broadcasting camp, and Ed Cohen was one of the staff members. Counselor is not the right word. Was one of the people that, that helped run the camp as, at that time, the fledgling voice of the Manhattan Jaspers. So Ed and I had that very first interaction when he was just embarking on his professional career, And I was figuring out what a chart was and that I wanted to do this for a living. So, Ed and I go back to, uh, gosh, I think probably about 2003. Since then, as I mentioned off the top, he's gone on to do some tremendous things, and he'll touch on all of it. Manhattan worked for Rutgers Women's Basketball for a while, uh, One World Sports, CBS Sports Network, and... I think has called virtually every sport under the sun. Did a lot of work for MSG Varsity, Madison Square Garden Network. Uh, They've got a high school sports network, so MSG Varsity has called probably water polo uh, around the greater New York City area. But where we start our conversation today is... With the Olympics. And we've had a couple of Olympic conversations, and it's one of the things I've wanted to do since the Rio Games happened back in August, is is pick some Olympic brains. We talked to JB Long about, uh, well, he was initially assigned to do the Olympics, and we talked to Jason Knapp about his experience going to Rio. Ed had a different experience than Jason, because Jason actually went to Brazil. Uh, Ed was one of the guys that broadcast the Olympics from Connecticut in a studio, which I think was uh, is really interesting and cool. Part of the fun of being a sports broadcaster is getting to go. But it's one of those kind of new trends that's coming around is having broadcasters do things remotely. Ed has a lot of experience with that. So we're going to touch on that side of broadcasting, not just in the Olympics, but some other stuff that he's done as well. But where we start our conversation is with what Ed did at the Olympics because he didn't do a mainstream sport. He did play by play for weightlifting. How on earth do you do play- by play for Olympic weightlifting? Here's Ed Cohen on play by play cast.
1: That's the kind of sport where you really have to you know learn everything from the bottom on up and then worry about the particulars, uh, especially when you're doing it remotely from Stanford and you're in a little booth with um, you know three other people and that's and that's your crew. But for me, um, you know, I started working on it a few months out, maybe two or three months out. We were lucky. We had a statistician on our crew named Harvey Newton, who was just uh, an endless resource for someone like me. He had been a coach with the weightlifting team back in Seoul. I've uh, been very involved with USA Weightlifting. And then somehow he became part of NBC's crew for the Olympics. I think his first one was 96 in Atlanta. And he had done maybe four or five where he was not just a statistician, but almost a historian. So Harvey kind of led me down a path of what I needed to know. And then in terms of witnessing the sport and getting a feel for it, I went to a CrossFit in Brooklyn just to see it. And you have these guys, you know, some are my age in the early thirties. There's one guy who was close to 60 and he's, you know, he's doing the snatch, you know, getting to a pretty high weight and then, you know, the clean and jerk, I think he hit two or three of, of his lifts uh, in each one. And, but you see what goes into it. You watch the strategy as coaches are changing their guys in and out and uh, making sure that they can bump up a weight to buy their guy more time. Little things about the sport that help when you're so far away and you're calling it off monitor, but that was a start. And as we got closer and there were more, um, Research packets in a sense of who would actually be competing, and once we, you know, digested that the Russians and the Bulgarians were suspended because they didn't compete in weightlifting down in Rio, then you start to go through who the top competitors were, and and from there, I think we were on for thirteen or fourteen days, and we had about a weight class a day. Um, from there, you start to put your chart together, and and just see who's going to be among the top contenders and in the A group. So it started a couple of months out, and you just, over time, uh, add, add as much as you can to be ready for when they start.
0: How do you prep for something like that from the standpoint of... I mean, obviously, they know that you don't necessarily know what you're talking about when you get into it, so you're going to ask a lot of questions that are... Uh, that That to somebody who 's really involved might seem silly. Uh, is it one of those things where you just kind of check your ego at the door and don 't worry about the looks you get and just try to build a foundation and go from there
1: Oh no doubt, no doubt. I think you know when you ask questions in areas where you may not be fully informed you know there 's a curiosity factor there, and you know they could sit there and say oh wow here 's a newbie what what does he know where Where's this going to go?" But I think you know a sport like weightlifting, for example uh, it's it's a niche sport, and the people who compete and the people who follow it, they love it. so there's also the side of you know they want to teach you because if they get that trust of you know this person's going to tell our story as best he can, uh, I think you get past that. so for me, asking questions is a good thing, and you don't necessarily um you know. Tout the fact that you don't know a lot about it going in, but if you're willing to learn and, and clearly you, you put in the time and are doing it in advance, uh, I think that shows. And for me, we watched the broadcasts from 2012, which which gave uh, tremendous background, insight into, into what it was going to be like, what our telecast was going to look like, um, how they might cut it down, depending on you know, the timing and, you know, what weight classes were ones to to really keep an eye on. But you go into it, yeah, of course. You know, someone says, have you done weightlifting? Most guys raise their hand and say no. But um, there's always a first. And as long as you go in willing to learn and listen and and put in the time, I think the community of, you know, a certain sport will will embrace you and and welcome you in.
0: How do you do play-by-play of weightlifting? Or is it more so storytelling and let them... Lift the weight and then react,
1: <laughs> you know it's funny. Uh, the drama of it is very underrated. I think any sport that you really get into and uh dive into you know by the end you'll be uh, at the edge of your seat I-, I think that's the case with any sport when you really learn it and and you've invested a lot of time into it so um, you know, TV—it's a little different because you have a chance to lay out during the really exciting, emotional moments. But um, no, for for each major lift, because you have a two-part lift in, in weightlifting, there's the uh, there's a snatch, and then you know it ends with the uh, with the clean and jerk. So, you know, guy needs this lift to win gold. I mean, you're you're laying out, you're letting him start his first lift. My analyst Shane Hammond, who was a two-time Olympian in the men's super heavyweight, he's getting into it, and and you're calling it. Uh, so it, it's it's definitely not a sport where you're just filling, thinking you have to keep someone's interest. Uh, you know the weights, you know the lifts. It's you know four years in the making, and I think you forget that when you watch the Olympics. Sometimes you know they've been working at this for four years, and this is their moment. So you're certainly. You're calling it straight up, especially um, you know at the end of the session.
0: I mean, are you calling uh, on a snatch for 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 exist, for, for example? Like, w- w- will you call physical play by play when he gets the the barbell over his head and he's just trying to stand up, or do you let the whole lift happen and then kind of go from there um, and let
1: TV speak for itself? Yeah, that's a good question, Joel. You know, a lot of it is since it's it's television. You know, Shane because, you know, he's lived it, he would kind of take it, you know, say, Hey, all right, he's got this first part of the lift. Now let's see if he can raise it without any issues. And then I could kind of tag it. So you're right. It wasn't so much play by play for me, but at the same time, if if someone's taking their time, you could say he needs to extend the hands. You know, this is it. If he can extend here, he's got gold. And then once the lift is complete, you have to see if, if, you know, he or she received the two necessary white lights. So you might think they have it, but you still have to wait for the three judges to to issue their ruling. Um, but it, it, it works both ways. Uh, but you definitely, in a sport like that, can lean on your analyst um, for the technique as it's happening.
0: How long did it take you to say, I feel like I'm not going to stick my foot in my mouth?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Listen, I think with anything, day thirteen was way better than day one Fair. from a chemistry standpoint. And you know, I think if, if you do a college basketball season and you cover the same team, you're you're going to feel better game twenty than you did game number one. It, w- whether it's familiarity with with the players, you know, the players on your team, or just the rhythm of it, that's why there's spring training. That's why uh, you know it takes it takes time to. To get back into shape but um, yeah I think we definitely got better as it as it went along and I think the first one you feel like you're on eggshells uh, a little bit but then you you realize how much work you put in and and if you put in the time if you're prepared that should lead to confidence and if you're confident then um, you know really nothing should stand in your way
0: how do you get That assignment, I mean, you know, we've had a couple other Olympic guys on over the last couple of months and, you know, J.B. Long was talking about wanting to get into fencing. So he said, well, I'm going to start seeking out different things so that when people think they need a fencing guy, I'll be the person at the top of their mind. Uh, Did you think like if I can find something niche here, I can set myself up for something or did you just make the right contacts and over time, the right person comes to you and says, would you like to try weightlifting?
1: That's interesting. That's that's very cool and creative and, and smart of JB. I think for me it was a little different. Um, certainly, I think we all speak to the relationships we have, and you know, for me, even at NBC, it didn't really directly impact me doing the Olympics. But you know, that was one of the places I started. You know, even when I was in college, I interned at, at uh, Channel Four in New York City in their local sports department. And, I was even a PA out of college and and worked a little bit for some of the network productions when Football Night in America was just starting. So there was that. But I think for me, they probably looked at not just what I had done with the major sports, but it was also, um, you know, I've done a lot of events off monitors as the world of sports broadcasting has changed and we've kind of gone in that direction. So I think that was appealing in their eyes in looking at, you know, 60 or 70% of what aired on the NBC networks was, you know, originated from Stanford. So that was one side of it. And I know for me, I did, for example, I did rugby, um, about a year and a half ago, we did the college championship in the fifteens And then a few weeks later in Denver, we did the sevens. So, you know, going back to what we talked about earlier, when they said, have you done rugby? I said, no, but, How many guys have? So (laughs) you put in the time, you know, you learn the sport and yes, you put yourself in a position to be ready to call a rugby championship. So different sport and obviously a lot of different sports when, you know, you're making an Olympic roster, especially for the summer games. So I think seeing that I had done it for something else that maybe isn't, you know, something we've all done rugby, I've done a triathlon. Um, You know, I'd like to think I've done most sports under the sun, but the preparation's the same, how you learn the sport, how you get to know the people. So I think in that regard, the rugby really helped, um, in in terms of how to attack this and how to attack a new sport and, um, you know, be in a position to, to call something like weightlifting.
0: We've had some guys on that have have done monitor work, but I've never really approached the subject before. Um, what's it like calling a game when you're not there?
1: I'll tell you. It's funny because we got into this when we were kids, right? You say, hey, I want to be a sportscaster. Or you, you go to college and you say, this might be fun. And I feel like the first reason you list is we want to be there. You know, I want to be courtside. (laughs) I want to be at every baseball game a team plays in a season. And now all of a sudden you're, um, you're using the basis for why you got into it, but you have to do it a different way and you're not there. So there are a lot of different things that go into preparing for a remote broadcast. Uh, You know, first thing is, for example, if you're there, you're you're talking to the coaches and the players and and you're getting the story. You don't necessarily get that opportunity. We do our best to to talk to people via phone as close to the event as possible. but in terms of you know getting the full story, you might not have that luxury if you're you know thousands of miles away. And then it's the timing too. You know the fact is, you're going to see something when you're there that might not be on the screen that not everyone's going to see. And so when you're seeing the images that everyone at home seeing, you have to really pay close attention and, and not put yourself in a position to get stranded. If you don't know who the foul is on, you have to wait a little bit. Whereas if you're there, you could see the referee put up you know, three numbers on one hand and one on the other, number 31. You might not get that. So there's, there's a timing aspect of it and delaying just a little bit to get it right. know, we always say, do you want to be first or do you want to be right? I guess when you cover a news story, you know, a lot of ways, it's the same play by play. You want to be fast, but you want to be accurate. And I think when you do things remotely, you just have to give it a little more time if you don't see it to make sure that you know exactly what happens. So the timing, um, being accurate, it all plays a part. And then just knowing, The sport, because no question, calling games off a monitor varies from sport to sport. Uh, Baseball, I'd say, is one of the hardest because you have to wait for the the home plate camera and to see where the ball's going. You know, every fly ball at first looks like it's a home run, (laughs) you know, and then all of a sudden it's landing in shallow right field. So there is is that side of it, too.
0: How many cameras do you get for something like that uh, to give you the perspective of, I mean, I'm thinking a relay throw. If you're there, you're seeing where the relay is getting set up, where you know how close is the runner rounding third, all those types of things. Uh, how many monitor angles do you get, and how easy is it to make the adjustment of not looking at the field to call that game, but looking at four different monitors? You've got the one on the field or the one on the runner, the one on the plate, and, and painting the picture in that way.
1: Yeah, I think it varies. I've done baseball games where you're just getting the show that they cut for you. So you get that back and you really have to be patient, Uh, really wait for them to cut from center to home. And maybe they cut low. You you just don't know. Other times you might get a game that's cut and they might have an ISO look of of a certain angle, which you can look to if, like you said, you have a question of where's the runner or um, how are they positioned. So that always helps, but it all depends. Uh, that's that's the challenge of it. Is you have to sometimes go with with what they feed you.
0: When you say the cut that they send to you, is that like they'll the games already happened type deal for stuff that maybe overseas?
1: Basically, it's for example, I've done Japanese baseball where you're basically calling a game in English here in North America off of the broadcast in Tokyo so you just have the
0: one monitor you don't get all the camera angles that way you're basically subtitles in English basically
1: exactly now that's crazy it's funny because you do it long enough and the graphics are are in Chinese Japanese whatever it may be (laughs) but if you know the numbers and you're prepared you you can figure out okay that's his record that's his ERA there's his innings there's walks to strikeouts so you know that's part of being prepared, but it's it can be quite a path to travel, believe me. How do you prep for
0: for games like that? particularly, I'm thinking you know one world sports, Chinese baseball, Japanese baseball, uh, that kind of stuff, not only where you're not necessarily there, but you know if you try to talk to somebody, it's not likely to be necessarily in English. If you try to do research, Google Translate is probably your friend. Uh, what kind of prep work goes into doing a call like
1: that? Google translate I'm not a huge, I mean, I'm obviously technologically savvy, but I'm, you know, it takes me some time to, to figure it out. But you know, Google translate, um, you get, you get the, uh, Japan times. I think I had a monthly subscription. So I, I, read any article that that came out each day just to have something and, and you follow the story like you would here in, uh, in the United States, it's not as robust but there are some websites that that give you a lot of information. So that's obviously a starting point. I think the one thing that was very challenging, especially with baseball is you're doing a game and you're going to the ballpark. You're getting there three, four hours early. When you're in the minor leagues, you might be there, you know, eight hours before the game. If you have other responsibilities or you're just going with the manager and, you know, they get an early start. So, for me, you're used to getting the lineup at three or four o'clock, and you have plenty of time to sketch in your lineup card, add some notes, maybe put some splits down, and then when there's a game overseas, you know, I think we got a fax sometimes 30 minutes before first pitch. So you're, you're scrambling to put the lineup in because that's everything when you call baseball. So that was a challenge, um, which which took a little time getting used to. So the lineup in baseball is tough. And I'd say in the other sports, you know, getting the lines in hockey, they, those usually came out 30 minutes before face-off in Russia, maybe an hour. But that always was a huge boost uh, when you could get those. So it was really stick to the basics. Uh, if you could get the basics of, of that game down first, everything else, all of your preparation and numbers – uh, stories, things you wanted to talk about. That all was gravy. But but the key was to, to know who was appearing and if there was any news that would make this game different from the one before. What
0: would you think the first time somebody said, Ed, do you want to call Japanese baseball or Russian hockey?
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, first I wanted to know if we could travel. <laughs> I knew that wasn't going to happen. Although I will say, it's having done it, and having seen some of the, the atmospheres and the games, I'd say doing a hockey game in St. Petersburg, Russia, with Ska, that's where Ilya Kobolchuk and Pavel Datsuk play now. We're doing a Yomaguri Giants game in Tokyo. Just to go. Forget about broadcasting. Just to go. Those would be very high on my bucket list because from afar, it looks just like an incredible place to to witness a game Uh, and and the fans are just so locked in and the traditions are are very pronounced and very special Um, but relating to doing the games themselves first thing you think is how's how's this going to work and how am i going to wake up at three in the morning for a 5 a.m first pitch how am i going to get the lineups so yeah i think uh, for any play-by-play guy all of the the stress and uh, you know thoughts going through your head that you'd have for a normal game, uh, run through your head for something that's just so far away. But once you get into a rhythm like any sport and you get the reps and you, you develop a routine, then it starts to change and, and you feel like you're you're far more in control than, than you did when you started.
0: Do you have to check yourself a little bit too? And I, I thought of this while you were talking about appreciation of the cultures over there. Um, different game, particularly in baseball, the way you talk about the sport. I, I, I mean, I, they play it differently in Japan than they do in America, uh, and I'm sure you're you're pre-wired to think about strategy in an American sense. Do you have to kind of think twice sometimes
1: when you're doing a game like that? No question, it's completely different. Uh, the game is very different. If you look at Japanese players, for example, most of them who come over are pitchers, and then the most famous one, who is a hitter, was was a spray guy Ichiro. I mean, it's it's a small ball game, and you know they only have twelve teams. Uh, the, the league that the Yomiuri Giants play, and those are the games that we did on One World Sports. You know they have the pitcher hit, so it's a National League style, but it's even more pronounced in terms of moving guys over. You'll see that in the first inning. You will see that the first first guy that gets on, they're trying to move him over. So it's it's very different, but it's very exciting. I think the one thing that threw me for a curveball, so to speak, is you just think, well, Major League Baseball, nothing could possibly be longer. The games they're trying to speed up here. It must be faster elsewhere. Japanese baseball games are, on average, far longer, I would think, than than Major League games, especially oh, in, in the Central League. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So if, if you think that, that three-plus hours is unmanageable, uh, go to Japan, because those games uh, can be endless. Uh, those could be really long.
0: Great. <laughs> um, let's there you go. go. Book your, book your tickets yeah y'all.
1: exactly I, I don't
0: know if the if the the cultural appreciation aspect versus sitting in through a four and a half hour game um, All right maybe go for the first six innings <laughs> um, let's talk uh, let's talk basketball if we can um, you got in, I, know, I know you for the most part got into this through basketball you were at Manhattan for a long time uh, walk me kind of through how you started navigating this industry and and the the jumps you took from a basketball sense and i know you did a little bit of minor league baseball um but what what strings you tied together to to get yourself to where you are uh through the through the more american mainstream sports
1: okay you know president obama is just giving his final press conference saying he apologizes for the long-winded answers. so i'll try to keep this it's a podcast. As concise and easy to follow on the podcast as possible. Um, well, you, you, you brought up my first on-air job, and that was as the voice of Manhattan College. So I graduated from Ithaca in 2005. And really, you come out of school and you think, I'll do anything to get on air. Now, I would imagine for most it starts with, well, this is where I live, so let's kind of start here and, and see you know, where we can go from, from this base. So for me, I'm, I'm from outside of New York city. I came home and after about a month or so, I started working at channel Four local sports in New York. I didn't there and I was very lucky to at least have a job with them. It was not on air, obviously, but it was, you know, in New York, it was a, a wonderful opportunity. I was out in the field a ton interviewing, um, uh, players coaches helping with all of our shows and I said I'm going to give it a shot for this college basketball season to at least you know circle a 2 hour radius around New York and see what division 1 teams need announcers and I would imagine this is where it's kind of changed in the last 11 or 12 years you know back then you didn't know of every opening and you didn't know what every school did for coverage whereas now i i feel like that's out there and you, you get a sense of what schools do in terms of video do they have radio what positions are there it was just a different time in terms of how much information was online and and how much you could glean from what schools were doing so i called my 10 or 15 schools i think i still even have the piece of paper um with all the contacts some I've I've worked with since you know it's like major league some might be dead you know cross them <laughs> off it was a long time ago so and Manhattan College was was looking for a play-by-play person and it was just right timing right day I I got Mike Antonaccio who helped me get my first job when you know he thought there might be an opening and he listened to a tape and I got very lucky to, to join a team that had been to the NCAA tournament two years earlier. And my third ever game was at Syracuse. Uh, you may have been there. It was 0- 05. And, yeah, I would have been there. Um, yeah. <laughs> Manhattan was down, I think, 20. 20- at the break, they then came back and went up by eleven. They then blew the eleven-point lead, lost in overtime. That's about right. And Bobby Gonzalez was going nuts on the bus back because he almost stole one against his mentor Jim Behan. So that was that was my start. I was there for six years. Uh, it was a wonderful experience working, uh, you know, at a great small school. And while I've done a lot since, you know, there's there's nothing like your first job. It's, you know, some have said it's like your first love. You'll never forget it. And I'll never forget, even as I've advanced since, um, you know, those six years. So I I did that. And then I coupled that with the Rutgers women's job. And those overlapped for three years. So those were some busy times with, you know, conflicts. When you're the voice of two teams, you feel like, you know, you miss one game, you're letting them down. Um, So that was a great time. And then since then, I left Rutgers after 2014. I was starting to do some TV stuff and now I've done games for CBS for four years, uh, ESPN three, still cover the Mac, uh, big 10 network. And now I do a lot covering the Atlantic 10 uh, men's package on um, American sports network and S that led to a lot of great opportunities. And as you said, I did minor league baseball for a couple of summers, uh, just an amazing way to learn how these guys live and come up to the system and to do baseball every day was, was huge. And, and I recommend that to, to any young guy coming out of college or, or beyond in terms of the, the day-to-day reps and going somewhere where, where you're focused on becoming a better broadcaster. Those were great summers for me. And of course in New York, I've, done other things, too, whether it be SiriusXM, uh, calling the Olympics over the summer. I kind of built up through a big market, and it's helped me, I think, in the relationships that I've made over time, no question.
0: I know I told you, we're, uh, I told you half hour, we're at 27 minutes, but I have a couple more questions I want to get in with you uh, <laughs> on on some of those notes. And, and the first one is, you mentioned the New York deal, um, and we've had this conversation on this podcast a few times about how to how to work your way up and and if you go to a big city um, and try to make it work there or if you go out and do some things in in kind of out of sight you know if you go to a smaller market and do something different uh, what was it like coming up through new york and uh, putting yourself in that such a large pot and trying to Make it in in I mean, media market number one, by putting a lot of things together and then ultimately getting to where you are now.
1: no doubt, that's a that's a great question. I think it it brings me back to when I first started because I remember when I got out of school, I started working behind the scenes. yeah you know if the, if the Manhattan job didn't come up, I told myself then, if you're not on air by December, I will go anywhere. I'll start. In in a town I've never heard of, and and I will get the reps. The Manhattan job came open, and it's hey, you know, I have a job calling Division One basketball. This is great. Now, how do I, you know, fill everything around it? And then from there, I worked at NBA TV a couple of months after. So I was voicing highlights, working on some shows. Uh, it led to play-by-play of international games, and this was about ten years ago. So that reinforced for me. You might have, you know, a base job in the winter. You can work another basketball job in over that time. You're, you're working at a TV station, learning, even if you're not on air. And that kind of kept me here. And, you know, you have to see the path through that you start. And I haven't really left it. So there've been ups and downs and there are times where you're so busy, you, 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 can't come up for air and there are other times where you have to backfill a little bit when you're in such a large market but there's so many ways of doing it that just happened to be my way because of how a few things broke early in my career but there's certainly so many examples of guys who who go somewhere they make that their base they might do minor league baseball for six months and even work at a college nearby during the off season and then that grows into something. So there, there's so many ways to do it, but no question, if you're in a big market, you're going to have to start small or be creative and maybe do other things in addition to what you consider to be your main opportunity and, and the one that's you're really helping you as a broadcaster for me that was manhattan in the early years and i found other ways to supplement that
0: did you ever get worried along the way uh, i mean you said right off the top if you didn't get the manhattan job you would have maybe gone somewhere smaller did you ever think to yourself um or was there a spot where it's i've got to find some more things i've got to find things to help me live and help me you know eat uh, and and keep going um and stay in new york
1: you know, my parents were very generous. I didn't have any earrings or tattoos or do anything to upset my father. So luckily they let me stay in the house for four years and they were very understanding when I would go away for the summer to do baseball, knowing that I would come back. So that was a big help. The first four years, uh, working near where I lived, uh, I highly recommend it if it's feasible, uh, for some of you out there, but, um, no doubt it's uh, you, you have to you know it's a grind as uh, as as we say in this business and and you have to you have to balance doing the best things for your career as a broadcaster and and staying the course, especially in play by play i mean it's hard you know there are a lot of games, but it's so subjective, and more often than not it's not full time you have to balance. Not giving up, you know, your work and your your great opportunities, but also knowing you're going to have to sometimes take an extra job or, you know, try something like updates on the radio or, you know, voicing highlights or doing something online that will help supplement it. No question.
0: If I can get technical with you real quick, and I, I guess we'll wrap up on this note, uh, how much, you, I mean, you obviously do a lot of stuff, but how much of a chance do you get to watch yourself back uh, to the degree that you want to? Uh, and then when you do that, what do you look for? Uh, and, and what do you find about things that you, even to this day, still like or still want to uh, get after and, and work on the next time out?
1: It's a great question, and I think... With maturity, I'm sure you feel the same way too. Uh, but with maturity, you recognize how important it is to watch yourself back. You, know, you, you feel the fingernails on the chalkboard every time you do it. <laughs> but you also know the next time out, you, you hear yourself. You, you see yourself and you recognize what you can do better because you had just watch yourself back. It's like you, you catch yourself as you're about to make the same mistake twice, and then you fix it. So I try to carve out as much time as I can, and I think you know the benefit now is you could call a game, and there are highlights on Twitter or on the web, and you can watch those back. So that's that's good when you're really busy. At the very least, you can get a sense how is my energy? Did I time that well? Did I lay out? Did I you know strike the right chord at the right moment? So that's big. Uh, I think each off season, I try to expand that and, and maybe watch, you know, a set of full games. I think as you're going through to, to make a real, naturally, you're going to be watching yourself and, and seeing things. And I always feel even after six months of an off season or four months of an off season, you know, that time, whether it's watching yourself back, but kind of stepping away, it helps you. and, you know, it might take a half or a game to, to get back in the swing of things. But, you know, I always say, did you improve from the year before? And I think until you get to a point where you've done it for 30 years, you always will if you put in that time. So um, the off seasons are big. Uh, you know, I, I'm not one who's able to watch every game I do right afterwards. But if you could sprinkle time in throughout the year and then really uh, look at things from an overall perspective, when it's all said and done, it can really help from year to year. How do you uh,
0: how do you balance uh, laying out, talking talking at the right times? Uh, it was funny right before we went on. Uh, I I was reading a critique I got back from somebody that that talked about, and it, it was really specific with the point. There was a steal, um, and I said i think i think the line was like and i think i just said and a steal and then i laid out and until she laid it in then said who it was and had the bucket and the criticism was you know give me give me who's got the ball you know she's on the break you know how it's going to wind up let us know how it's going to happen and then lay out when she goes in to score Uh, what's the science behind talking uh, not talking figuring out when to do it the right times to do it and how much did you wrestle with that and still wrestle with that now uh, to this day
1: Oh no question. I think when you go from radio to T V, which I think is 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 still the natural progression, going from TV to radio would be very hard. But when you go from radio to TV, girl has a ball or a guy has the ball in the corner. You know, you might still say, Hey, corner three, it's good. And then over time it's, you know, gets a look knocks it down you you change your vocabulary but in in terms of timing it it varies I think from announcer to announcer you know some guys give a lot of space they really let it breathe they go the Pat Summerall route so maybe they can get away with end of steel and just let it develop and tag it other guys you know they might throw a few more words in or, or descriptors and that's that's part of their style that works too. You know, I solicited advice from a friend of mine who isn't an announcer. He, he's a producer, but more than anything, he's just a huge college basketball fan. And he watched a game I had done recently, and he said, Keep this in mind. When there's a three point shot, it's from distance. You don't know if the ball is going in or not. And the ball is in the air for. second, second and a half, whatever it is. So the drama of when the ball leaves his hands to when it goes in the hoop, there is that moment you don't know. And that's when you call it. That's fine. But what he said was there was a point where, like you said, there was a fast break and you said, Jones to the rim, lays it in. He said, build up him going to the rim. But we know more often than not that it's going to go in at that point. And so close to the basket, you don't really have much time to take it from point A to point B. Very good point. So I think from one sport to the next, you have to recognize the geography of it. And I think that really helps. Um, You know, soccer is a sport I've done a lot lately, and it moves really fast. If you try to do everything, especially around the 18, you're going to get caught flat-footed when the big moment's there. So you have to select your words wisely leading up to it, but definitely be ready to tag it.
0: Ed, if people wanted to find you, watch you, uh, anything of that nature, uh, where can they do it?
1: So right now uh middle of college basketball season on c b s sports network, and then the Atlantic ten men's package is on comcast affiliates on a s n uh and beyond throughout the country um That's a good starting point right now. I'm on Twitter at ed Cohen sports. hopefully it's easy. I feel like there are a lot of Ed Cohen, so I have to <laughs> throw support in there. Uh, it was always a problem with emails, so luckily I, uh, I didn't have to add any numbers to it. Uh, there are a lot of us. So those are a couple places to start, and um, it's great to be with you because I remember you from your, uh, your early days and uh, your college years. So uh, this is a wonderful opportunity for all of us in the community to kind of come together and share our ideas.
0: Some really interesting perspectives there from Ed Cohen on I think in particular the studio broadcasting aspect of things because I mean let's be honest that's the way a lot of this industry not I don't want to say a lot of this industry that that's a that's a gross over generalization but there there is a lot of studio broadcasting that happens now for play by play ESPN has done it um, American Sports Network does it. One World Sports obviously doesn't. You're not going to Japan to call those games. Uh, the Olympics, Ed said it, and I don't know the exact number, but a really high number of events were broadcast in NBC's studios as opposed to going to Rio. And it's one of those things where how do you broadcast an event you're not at? You have to figure out a way. And it's going to happen probably a lot more as we continue down the road Uh, here in this field so interesting to hear ed's perspective on that certainly on being able to being able to cover the olympics uh, being able to call japanese baseball and do all the different things that he does the the cultural appreciations that he's gained for doing some international sports and then of course touching on you know some of the domestic sports that we're more used to to seeing and talking about on a day in and day out uh, basis. So many thanks to Ed here for joining us. He gave you his Twitter handle as well. so uh, give Ed Cohen sports a follow on Twitter and uh, show him some love, catch him uh, coming up during college basketball season here on CBS Sports Network. Uh, we're out of time though. Great point by the way, by Mike Cousins last week, our guest last week. We're not out of time. It's a podcast. We're never out of time. We're out of time because I say so, because I have nothing else to say. So uh, we're out of time. Marshmallow was playing because I edited it to do so, which means we are done. So we'll see you next week here on Play by Playcast. Make sure to interact with us if you enjoyed the podcast at PXPCast, and we'll talk to you next week. We're out.